0: There are many people who try to reinvent preaching, the worship service, and even the church. They think straightforward preaching of the Bible is outdated and lacks relevance in a culture like ours. They are concerned that if we do not replace the preaching of God's Word with something more relevant, the church will die. The truth is just the opposite. It is when churches abandon the straightforward preaching of Scripture that they die. In the Protestant Reformation, reformers like Martin Luther, John Calvin, William Tyndale, and John Knox recognized the centrality that the preaching of the Word of God must have in our worship services. In the Roman Catholic Church, the Eucharist, what we call the Lord's Supper, was central in the worship service, not the preaching of the Word of God. But the Reformers called for a return to the preaching of the Word in the language of the people. And they called for a return to the centrality of the preaching of the Word in the worship service of the church. The Reformers rightly taught that the faithful preaching of the Word is one of the main marks of a true church. John Calvin wrote... "...wherever we see the Word of God purely preached and heard, and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is not to be doubted a church of God exists. This is a perpetual token by which to distinguish the church." So one thing Calvin is saying there, is if you have something that calls itself the church, but the Word of God is not purely preached, and heard there, it cannot be called a true church. The straightforward preaching of the Word of God is an essential mark of a true church. The preaching of the Word of God is to be central in the life of Christ's church because God has designed it to be so, and He is pleased to unleash His power in our lives through His Word and the preaching of it. Therefore, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones rightly said, The most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching. And as it is the greatest and most urgent need in the church, it is the greatest need of the world also. We come to a passage today in the book of 1 Corinthians that teaches us the nature of biblical preaching. In a day and age when biblical preaching is not popular and is being replaced with all sorts of things, there is a great need for us to understand what the passage before us teaches about preaching. You need to know why we devote ourselves on Sunday mornings to the preaching of God's Word. And you need to be able to, to explain this to others. We live in a time when, like the Reformers, we too need to be calling the church to return to biblical preaching. Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, which I will read now. Please stand in honor of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, I'm sorry, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear And much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. This passage that we are studying this morning is closely related to the last two passages that we have studied in 1 Corinthians. Back in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, Paul taught that in God's all wise design, the world will never come to know God through human wisdom. The city of Corinth, to which Paul writes, loved human wisdom, which was taught by their many philosophers. Instead, it pleases God to save people through the message of Christ crucified. Not through human wisdom, but through the message of Christ crucified. A message that the world sees as folly, but those who are called recognize to be the power and the wisdom of God. Then in the the next section, verses 26-31 through of chapter 1, We saw that for the most part, God chose and calls people who are foolish and weak in the eyes of the world to make it clear that man's wisdom and strength get him nowhere with God so that no human being might boast before God. We saw that it is because of God's doing that we who believe are in Christ so that we will boast in the Lord and in Him alone. And now in our text... We come to a passage that speaks of God's method for human beings to hear and believe the word of the cross and be saved, something else that is foolish in the eyes of the world, preaching. A method that God has designed so that the faith of those whom God calls might not rest in man's wisdom, but in God's power. The first of those three passages was about a message the world sees as folly, The message of the cross. The message by which the believer is saved. That second passage was about people whom the world sees as foolish. The majority of those whom God chooses and calls. And our text is about a method the world sees as folly. Biblical preaching. A method that stands in sharp contrast to man's methods. This passage is about biblical proclamation which includes evangelism and includes preaching in the church. That This passage before us should inform our understanding of evangelism and preaching. This passage should inform our practice of evangelism and preaching. This practice should inform our choice of a church, our choice of sermons to listen to. This passage should inform our listening to the preaching of the Word of God. Because of the foundational place that preaching has in our lives as Christians, this passage can be seen as one of the most foundational passages for Christians to understand. The Corinthian church needed this passage because they still were thinking in a worldly, fleshly way. And we need this passage as well. Uh, We find in this passage of Scripture three aspects of, of biblical preaching. Three aspects of biblical preaching. And the first one that we find. Is that th- is the content of biblical preaching. And that's in verses 1 and 2. The content of biblical preaching. Look closely with me at verse 1. And I when I came to you brothers. Did not come proclaiming to you. The testimony of God. With lofty speech or wisdom. Paul speaks of lofty speech or wisdom. Wisdom. He didn't use that in his preaching. Lofty speech or wisdom is what the great orators and philosophers came with. Corinth had a Hellenistic culture, a Greek culture. And the Corinthians greatly admired the skillful orators who came to town, professional speakers who were thoroughly trained in rhetoric, that is, thoroughly trained in public speaking. Uh, public speakers who, who knew the art of persuasion. And the Corinthians loved listening to these highly eloquent men uh, who had the ability to persuade you of almost anything. Along with the orators were the philosophers, a learned men uh, who loved knowledge and loved wisdom. And the Corinthians loved listening to the great philosophers just as much as the great orators in in our day uh, people will watch TV um, they, they, they will watch movies they will go to the theater in Paul's day in Corinth what would people enjoy doing when they weren't working they would enjoy listening to a great orator they would enjoy listening to a great philosopher these were the things that they delighted in and exalted. And That's how they enjoyed spending their time, was listening to men with great eloquence and, and, and great human wisdom. Now Paul says that when he came to Corinth and he preached, he did not preach with lofty speech or wisdom like the public speakers of that day who were exalted. Paul says he came not with lofty speech and wisdom, not with man's eloquence and wisdom that was so exalted, but he says he came proclaiming the testimony of God. The testimony of God is the revelation from God. We have God's revelation right here, the Scriptures. Paul came proclaiming the testimony of God. Testimony is not speculation. It's not guesses. It's not theories. It's not deductions. It is objective. It is factual. It is absolute truth. And this is what all the testimony of God... I'm sorry, in verse 2, we're told what the testimony of God centers on. Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is what the testimony of God, the revelation of God centers upon is... As Paul puts it here, Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not Jesus Christ as a teacher, not Jesus Christ as an example, not Jesus Christ as a perfect man and he is all three. He is the perfect teacher, he's the perfect example, he is the perfect man, but the testimony of God centers upon Jesus Christ crucified and risen on the third day. Jesus Christ is the focal point of Scripture, but not just Jesus Christ in any way, specifically Jesus Christ crucified. If you remove Jesus Christ and Him crucified from the message, you do not have the testimony of God. Everything in God's Word is connected to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Old Testament shows the need for the crucifixion of Christ, for the death of Christ, for our, our sins. The Old Testament looks forward to that. It prefigures it. It promises it. And the New Testament reveals how Jesus Christ came in fulfillment of the Old Testament and laid down his life upon the cross as the ransom for many. And teaches us the significance of that death. At the heart of of the Scriptures is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, when Paul says here in verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, it does not mean that in Corinth Paul only preached evangelistic sermons. It does not mean that while in Corinth Paul only preached those parts of Scripture that deal directly with Christ's atonement. We know from Acts 20, verse 27, uh, that uh, when he, he went and uh, planted a church, he would seek to preach the whole counsel of God. Acts twenty twenty seven: I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What verse 2 does mean when he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, is that Jesus Christ and Him crucified was at the heart of Paul's preaching because it is at the heart of God's revelation. This is how Paul always preached. No matter what city he was in, and no matter if he was preaching to Jews or to Gentiles, no matter if he was preaching to people who were learned or unlearned, his preaching would focus on Christ and Him crucified. Only after you understand and believe the word of the cross, can you rightly understand anything else in Scripture. Only after you understand and believe the word of the cross can you heed anything else in the word of God. Biblical preaching we see here in the the first two verses is not filled with things of man, but is proclamation of the very word of God, a revelation whose focal point is Christ crucified. This is the content of biblical preaching. Then in verses 3 through 4, we come to the manner of biblical preaching. The manner of biblical preaching. Look with me at verse 3. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power." Paul here in these verses is talking about his preaching while he was with the Corinthians. Acts 18.11 says that he was with them a year and six months. For 18 months, he was doing what he describes here. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He says, I was with you in weakness. The Corinthians did not look up to the weak. They in that culture looked up to the strong. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 29 say, God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God delights to use weak people for His Purposes. A biblical preacher is mindful of his weakness as Paul was here. I was with you in weakness. A biblical preacher does not rely on anything of self. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul faced great weakness all throughout his gospel ministry, and he recognized God's purpose, God's design in this. It was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul was very well aware of his weakness. In the book of Galatians, he draws attention to the large size of the letters that he wrote, suggesting that he had poor eyesight. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, he quotes his enemies as saying of him, His bodily presence is weak. He repeatedly suffered persecution and trials. As we read in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and following, He he speaks of far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Two verses later, if I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness." Wherever Paul went, he got beat up. Wherever he went, he suffered. His weakness was very apparent. He says here in our text, "...I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling." He knew how how inadequate he was in himself for the ministry that Christ gave him. He had experienced severe persecution in almost every city where he ministered. In Philippi, uh, he was put in jail. In Thessalonica, he wasn't there very long before they drove him out. Severe persecution in almost every city where he ministered. He knew the hostility that he could face in the city of Corinth. And he knew that apart from the Lord's protection, he would not be able to have a sustained ministry in Corinth. As I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. There was nothing about Paul that the unbelievers in Corinth would find impressive. In their eyes, he was the opposite of impressive. As we saw in chapter 1, The message of a crucified Savior was foolishness in the world, In their eyes being crucified showed Jesus to be weak and unable to deliver anyone. And likewise, Paul's weakness in their eyes would lead them to write him off. But it is God's design that His Word would be proclaimed by preachers who are weak in the eyes of the world, preachers who are utterly dependent upon the power of God. Paul continues in verse 4 and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He says his speech and his message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Or as the New American Standard translates it, not in persuasive words of wisdom. He didn't use the persuasive words which human wisdom would suggest. He didn't use words which, according to chapter 1, verse 17, would rob the gospel of its power. He didn't use words of persuasive, worldly wisdom. But rather, his speech and his his preaching were in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The Holy Spirit worked powerfully through the Word of God, which is centered on Christ crucified in hearts and lives. As, as Paul preached the Word of God, the Spirit of God testified to the message's divine authority in the hearts of those who were listening to that message whom God was calling to Himself. As Paul preached, the Holy Spirit was convicting hearts of sin. As Paul preached the word of the cross, the Holy Spirit freed sinners from sin's penalty and power and began to transform them into the image of Christ. The Spirit of God worked through the preached word of God in hearts and lives, testifying to the truthfulness of the message, convicting of sin, granting repentance and faith and beginning a work of sanctification through the Word of God in hearts and lives. Paul will elaborate on the work of the Spirit in the following verses. Look with me at verse 6. Verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God So Paul speaks of the gospel and the promises of God in the gospel. And he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. As we have heard the Word of God, and the Spirit of God has worked through the Word of God in our hearts and lives, giving us understanding of God's revelation. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Verse 11, For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural, person, the natural person is the person who does not have the Spirit of God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So apart from the Spirit, no matter how many times a person may hear the Word of God, they will not understand it as they ought to. But it is by the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, as the Word of God is proclaimed, that we understand the Word of God and we accept the Word of God and we bow before the Word of God. We believe the Word of God and we obey the Word of God. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul connects the power in which the word of God came with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The Holy Spirit works to bring conviction in the hearts of those whom God is calling to Himself. The Holy Spirit brings conviction as that message is heard, brings conviction to the hearts. In John chapter 16, verses 7 through 8, Jesus spoke of the coming gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit would convict regarding sin righteousness, and judgment. In our text, in verses 3 and 4, Paul is saying that in his preaching, he did not rely on words of human wisdom for persuading his listeners. Rather, he relied on the Holy Spirit to persuade his listeners of the truth of his message. And that the power of his preaching was seen in what the Holy Spirit did through it in the conversion of souls and their subsequent sanctification. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. When preaching relies upon words of human wisdom to persuade, many people will respond positively without having a true knowledge of the Gospel and without true conviction of sin. You will have won them to yourself, or you will have won them to your church, but you will not have won them to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are left in their sins without a Savior. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Biblical preaching does not tickle itching ears in order to get a positive response where the biblical preaching faithfully proclaims the Word of God in utter dependence upon the Spirit of God to work powerfully through that Word. Charles Spurgeon wrote about this passage. He said, The power that is in the Gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted till we would exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the Word of God to give it the power to convert the soul. We have seen in verses three and four the content I 'm sorry in verses one and two, the content of biblical preaching. we 've seen in verses three and four the manner of biblical preaching, and what is the purpose of all of this? What's the purpose of this content and this this manner? What's the purpose of this design in in preaching? Our text tells us the purpose of biblical preaching. And that comes in verse 5. The purpose of biblical preaching. Look at verse 5. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's the purpose of biblical preaching. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The wisdom of men is temporal. The wisdom of men is faulty. The wisdom of men is subject to change. The wisdom of men is powerless to save you from your sins, powerless to give you eternal life. But if the preaching relies on human wisdom, then that is what the listeners will rest their faith in human wisdom which will do nothing for them of eternal value. However, the purpose of biblical preaching is that the listener's faith would rest in the power of Almighty God. This is why the content is to be the testimony of God, which is centered on Christ crucified, so that the listener's faith would rest on the power of God. This is why God chooses weak vessels to be His preachers so that the listeners will rest their faith on the power of God. This is why the preacher is to rely exclusively on the power of God, so that those who listen to his preaching will rely entirely upon the power of God. This is God's design in preaching. Back in chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, we read, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The purpose of preaching is that the listener would rest their faith in that power, the power of God as revealed in the crucified and risen Christ. The listener's faith must be placed entirely in God and in nothing of man, not in the authority of the church, not in human arguments, not in human reason, not in the preacher, but entirely in God. Now, I want to give three areas of application. We, we have seen the content of biblical preaching, the manner of biblical preaching, and the purpose of biblical preaching. Let me give three areas of application. First of all, how does this passage apply to your personal evangelism. Evangelism falls under the category that Paul is talking about. He's talking about the proclamation of the Word of God. When he first came into Corinth, he was evangelizing. He was proclaiming the Word of God to unbelievers. All right. So this passage certainly applies to personal evangelism. What we see in this passage is that your task in personal evangelism is to proclaim to another person the word of the cross in the context of the rest of the word of God. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Your task in evangelism is to proclaim the word of the cross to an unbeliever what is the word of the cross the word of the cross is the word of what God has done to save sinners God is holy God is righteous God is just he is our creator as those who are created by God in his image we are accountable to him for how we live. He has given us His holy law. He's given us His commandments, His requirements of us, of how we are to live in a way that brings Him glory, a way that worships Him. But all of us have broken God's law. His law is written by Him on our hearts and He's given us a conscience that sometimes convicts us of having broken God's law. His law is revealed more clearly to us in the Scriptures. The Ten Commandments uh, were a summary of God's law, as God gave His law to Israel through Moses. Uh, Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, He uh, elaborates upon God's requirements for us. We find in the Bible God's law, His commandments. And all of His commandments show us that we are a rebel against God, that we are disobedient to Him, that we are fallen in sin and that we deserve the judgment of God because the law of God doesn't just say how we are to live, but it warns of God's judgment if we disobey that law. And so the law of God leaves us condemned before a holy God with no way to escape the coming judgment of God. But the word of the cross is what Jesus what God has done through Jesus Christ to save sinners. God is three persons in one God. He exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word of the cross is that God the Father sent his son into this world through the virgin conception Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. This was a miracle of God. He was conceived in the womb of the, the virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. God the Son became man in the virgin conception. He added to his, human, his, his divine nature a human nature. He entered into our human race by becoming one of us. And He lived a life of perfect obedience to God. He fully did the will of his Father. He was tested, he was tried, he was tempted, and he always was proved to be righteous and blameless and holy. He only did what is right in the eyes of God, he only did what was pleasing to his Father. He lived that perfect life of obedience that you and I have failed to live. He truly was righteous before the Father. And Jesus Christ came. He lived a life that fulfilled the law. And then He laid down His life in fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. He laid down His life voluntarily at the cross. He suffered the most shameful of deaths, death by crucifixion. He was treated as a vile criminal. He was rejected by his own people, the Jews. The Jewish leaders uh, condemned him um, as uh, someone who was blaspheming because he proclaimed that he is the Son of God. That was the truth. He is the Son of God. But they rejected him, and they handed him over to the Romans to crucify him. They handed him over to be crucified because they condemned him as a blasphemer. The Romans, under the pressure of the Jews, crucified him. He was crucified between two criminals. One on his right, one on his left. They deserved to die. They deserved to be crucified, but not Jesus. Jesus bore the sins of his people upon the cross. Isaiah 53 was was fulfilled when Jesus Christ died upon the cross. He bore the guilt of his people. He suffered the wrath of God that was due us for our sin. For three hours there was darkness as Christ hung upon the cross. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered the very wrath of God upon that cross. He was judged in our place. He was punished for us. He died upon that cross. A spear was thrust into his side after he died. Water and blood came out showing that he truly had died. He was taken down from that cross. He was laid in a tomb. And on the third day, some of the women who were among his disciples came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, expecting to find his body there. But his body wasn't there. Instead, they found two angels. They found that the stone had been rolled away. And those angels said, come and take a look. He's, he's not here. Because He has risen, just as He said He had foretold that He would rise from the grave. On numerous occasions. Come and see. He's not here. He is risen. Go to Galilee, where He will appear to you, and you will see the risen Christ. And Christ did appear to over 500 of His disciples over a period of 40 days, showing them that truly He had been bodily raised from the dead. And He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And He sent His apostles to proclaim the message of the cross. The message of salvation through Christ's death. The apostles proclaimed, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's why He was given the name Jesus, because He would save His people from their sins. The apostles proclaimed that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Not to condemn sinners, but to save them. The apostles proclaimed that salvation is not achieved by any works that we would try to do. We are guilty before God. He requires perfect obedience. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves from the judgment of God. But what we cannot do for ourselves, God does for sinners. God is the one who saves sinners through the work of Jesus Christ. The apostles proclaim that salvation is by God's grace. Salvation is a gift uh, that, that is freely given by God on the basis of that highest of prices that Christ paid. The salvation is a gift of God that is received through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible calls upon all sinners, men, women, boys, and girls, upon all of us to repent of our sins, to, to turn from our sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. At the cross, He died to save sinners, and He rose again on the third day as Lord. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he, we are to bow our lives before His Lordship. The Bible promises salvation to the one who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as a repentant, Faith—that is a, a a faith that trusts in Christ alone as your Savior from sin and submits to Him as Lord. The Bible promises salvation, forgiveness of sins, the imputed righteousness of Christ, eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit, an eternal inheritance to the one who believes upon Christ crucified. And the Holy Spirit comes in to your heart. He makes you new. Not only is your heart cleansed, but your heart is actually changed. The Holy Spirit gives you a new heart. He, he, he gives you a new nature. He actually put, puts the, 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 the nature of God in you, in the sense of God's moral nature. He adopts, God adopts you into His family. And the Holy Spirit begins to not only testify to your spirit that you are a son of God, but begins to transform your life, to make you like Jesus. Through Christ's death, we are saved not only from the penalty of sin, but we are saved from the power that sin has had over our lives. In salvation, we are set free from the dominion of sin to now live in newness of life, a new life of following the Lord Jesus Christ, a new life of living for God and His glory. This is the Word of the Cross. And your task, brothers and sisters, in personal evangelism is to proclaim the Word of the Cross in the context of the rest of the Word of God, to unbelievers. It's simple. It's not complicated. We don't need to somehow improve upon the message. We don't need to find a way to make the message sound better to people. We're simply an ambassador, a herald, to take the message of God and to proclaim it faithfully accurately to others. Your task in evangelism is not to awe the other person with eloquent words. And sometimes people think, well, I can't evangelize because I don't have eloquent words. Well, I'm very glad that you recognize you don't have eloquent words. If you thought you had eloquent words, that would be a stumbling block. Because your task is not to awe another person with eloquent words. Your task is not to impress the other person with your knowledge. Your task is to take the simple word of the cross and proclaim it faithfully to another. And we see in our text that you are to evangelize with an awareness of your weakness and insufficiency and a complete reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit. You are to, to take the word of the cross and to proclaim it to a coworker or a neighbor or a family member, whoever it is, in complete reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit to testify to that individual the truthfulness of the message that they are hearing. A complete reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin. A complete reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit to convert the soul to Christ. We see in our text that your purpose in personal evangelism is to be that your listener's faith would rest not in anything but in Christ and Him crucified. That's the purpose. You are not to keep beating around the bush waiting for the perfect opportunity to share the gospel. So often we will do that there's, there's someone, an unbeliever, that we want to share the gospel with. And we keep beating around the bush. Beating around the bush. Not getting to the point of sharing the gospel with them. Because we just think, well, they're not yet re- ready to believe this and accept this. Uh, I, I, things have to be different before I can effectively share this with them. And we beat around the bush and we beat around the bush. Know that beating around the bush won't help. If you believe the word of the cross is the most important message in all the world, and you recognize that the power is not found in your eloquence, but is found in the Holy Spirit who works through the message, then you have a way to bring up the Word of the Cross. You could simply begin by saying that you want to share the most important message in all the world. And share the message. There's a second area of application. We've considered the application of our text to personal evangelism. The second area of application is how the passage applies to your choice of a church and your choice of preaching to listen to. Understand from our text that you need to be in a church that preaches the unadulterated Word of God. And you need to listen to sermons that proclaim the unadulterated Word of God of God when you evaluate a a sermon pay attention to what the preacher uses to persuade people pay attention to what the preacher uses to make his point pay attention to what the preacher uses to keep you coming back is it humor is it interesting stories is it entertainment is it telling you what a good person you are Is it his intellect? Is it his opinions? Is it emotion? Or is it the straightforward proclamation of the Word of God proclaimed in dependence on the Holy Spirit with an eye to Christ crucified? If it is not the straightforward proclamation of the Word of God, then you need to find another church. If it is not the straightforward proclamation of the Word of God, You need to find different sermons to listen to. Biblical preaching is not the preaching of man's wisdom, man's thoughts, man's reasoning. There's to be nothing of man in it. There's to be the straightforward proclamation of the Word of God. That's where the power lies. That's what we need to hear. And a third area of application How does the passage that we have studied apply to listening to preaching? How does the passage we've studied apply to listening to preaching? Well, first of all, it means that your purpose in listening must must be to hear, to understand, and be affected by the Word of God. Your, your purpose is not to be to, to hear something interesting, and, and, and sermons can be, be interesting, and sometimes that's a purpose, person's purpose in coming to hear a sermon, is to hear something interesting. That's not to be your purpose. It is, your purpose is not to be awed by a good delivery. Your purpose is not to evaluate how good a sermon it is. No, your purpose in listening to the preaching of the Word of God must be to hear, to understand, and be affected by the Word of God. In light of what we've seen, you should be praying for the preacher. Before you come to our worship service, you should be praying for the man who will preach the Word of God, that the Lord would enable him to clearly and accurately communicate the Word of God. And you should pray for the work of the Holy Spirit through the preached Word of God. That's where the power lies, in the Holy Spirit, who works through the Word of God. And so you are to pray that the preaching will be effectual because of the Spirit of God working through that Word in hearts and lives praying that the Holy Spirit will work through the Word of God in your heart, in your life, in the lives of all the others who will hear. Preaching should form and strengthen your beliefs. Not because the preacher said what he said, but because the preacher showed you this is what the Word of God says. You see in verse 5, the purpose of preaching is that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what are we seeking when we come to listen to the preaching of the Word of God? It is that our beliefs would be formed and strengthened not because of what the preacher said, but because the preacher showed us this is what the Word of God says. And Lastly, as far as the listening to preaching, no matter what passage is being preached, be mindful that it is related to Christ and Him crucified. We've seen that in verse 2. That the heart of God's revelation is Christ and Him crucified. Everything in God's revelation relates to Christ and Him crucified. So you're listening to the preaching of the Word of God. You are not listening to something about how you can make yourself righteous before God. When you're listening to a portion of the Word of God being preached, you are either hearing of our need for Christ, our our need for Christ's atoning work, or or, or you are, are hearing of how we are to respond as those who who know Christ as our Lord and Savior, how we are to respond to what He has done in the power of the Holy Spirit who we have received through Christ. Always be mindful as you hear the preaching of the Word of God that the passage that you are hearing being preached is related to Christ and Him crucified. Well, may the Lord use this passage that we have studied to form our understanding of biblical proclamation of the Word of God. Let us be praying that our church would be faithful in the preaching of the Word of God. Let us be praying that the Lord would enable us to be faithful in the proclamation of the Word of God to friends, co-workers, people on the street, people at the store, would be faithful in the proclamation of the Word of Christ. May we be praying that the Holy Spirit would work powerfully through the proclamation of the Word of God in evangelism, in the preaching of the church, in hearts and lives, to bring salvation and to, to form God's people, to form the church, to be like our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, progressively conformed to His image, to the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are aware of our weakness. As the Apostle Paul spoke of his weakness, we are insufficient For what you have called us to in proclaiming your word. We thank you that you delight to perfect your power in human weakness. That you delight to use those who recognize their weakness and are seen to be weak. We thank you that you delight to use them to herald your word. Oh Lord, I pray that, that you would work powerfully by your spirit this Thursday as the group goes out to Rutgers. May your Spirit work powerfully through the proclamation of the Word of Christ. We do door to door evangelism this next month. Oh Lord, would you by your spirit work powerfully in hearts and lives? Bring conviction of the truth of the message. Bring conviction of sin. Drawing men, women, boys and girls to Christ in faith. And would your spirit not work among us? Each Sunday as we gather together, we hear your word preached. May your spirit work powerfully through that word in our hearts and lives. If your spirit does not work, we preach in vain. So we ask you, O Holy Spirit, to do that great work which we see in the Scriptures you have done in many and which you have promised to continue to do until Christ returns as the Gospel continues to go out to every tongue, tribe, and nation. As Christ builds His church, as disciples are made of every tongue, tribe, and nation to the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.